be our last week in chapter 5 of Ephesians, and then we'll move on to, to chapter 6 next week. I don't know if you've read ahead. It's always a good idea uh, in a preaching series to do that. Make yourself familiar with, with God's Word. It does two things. One, it, it helps when you come and you sit under the preaching, and two, it, it gives you, uh, gets your mind thinking. You, you tend to come with more excitement to sit under preaching when you've been reading it and have questions of the text yourself. Um, so if you've been doing that, I don't know if you've noticed, but the the relationship directives that we've seen in Ephesians 5 and, and 6, these are all geared, they're, they're focused towards weaknesses. That is, they're, they're geared towards things that are easy for us to not do in our relationships. We'll see next week, you know, children are, are told to obey their parents because it's, it's very easy for them not to obey their parents. We saw last week wives are instructed to respect and submit to their husbands because it's very easy not to do those things. And as we're going to be seeing in our passage this week, that husbands are told to, to love their wives because it's very easy for them to be selfish and, and careless in the way that they, they care for their wives. Uh, you see, men, you've been, been given this authority by, by God in your marriage, but it is absolutely not for selfish gain. Your, your wife is, is not your intern or anything like that. Uh, you are united to each other as, as one. You are to exercise headship to lead and to serve her. And, and as the passage states, husbands, uh, you are called to love your wife. But it doesn't stop there. You're, you're called to love your wife, not like Romeo loves Juliet, not like Noah loved Allie. That's the notebook. Not like Johnny loved June, not like Jay-Z loves Beyonce. Uh, but like Jesus loves the church. There is an important qualifier there. Like Jesus loves the church, his redeemed bride. Uh, so let's, let's read this passage starting in verse 25, and then we will dig into to what this means. Uh, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Show us in your word today what sort of love you, the only perfect bridegroom, bestows upon us as the church, your beloved bride. May we learn and, and know and, and thus feel the truth of your great love for us, Lord. Uh, God, this, this room is also full of, of husbands and men who desire to be husbands one day, and, and we are all deficient in, in how we love the brides that, that you have united us to. So we ask that you teach us to love well, to love more like you love them and like you love us. And we ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I think it's fair when you, you look at the structure of the way things have been going in Ephesians 5 that we might expect um, that this portion, you know, after, rather, after a, a portion where we saw this call on wives to submit to their own husbands, that the emphasis here today would, would be on the husband's authority to, to govern. And, and yet that's not what we're seeing here at all. What we see here in, instead is this responsibility of a husband to love his wife. You see, women, whether you're married or not, what is it that you, you desire mostly? What do you, what do you want to be most true of, of the man that you have married or the man that you, you will marry? I mean, is it, is it not that, that he would truly, deeply love you? Is that not the, des- the desire of our, our hearts in that regard? Uh, as we get started here, there's this, this temptation, I'll tell you right off the bat, there's this temptation to just kind of launch into this, this list of things like ways to, to, to love your wife. You know, here's 15 ways to love your wife well and, and, and really just go into cliche things like buy her flowers or, you know, comment when you see that she's gotten her hair cut and, uh, you know, maybe clean the dishes or rub her feet. And, and, and I don't want to do that. Because not that those are, are necessarily bad things. I'm sure you'd all probably really enjoy that. But uh, those are applications of, of love. And our passage here is going so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. And, and, and that's because it doesn't just say love your wife, but love your wife as Christ loved the church. And so we've got to focus on what, what that means. See, he, he says that because your marriage is intended to be an illustration of Jesus' love for the church, you know, um, to you and, and to your children and all who, who see marriage, see your marriage. Uh, Ray, Ray Ortland, whose name I'm not sure I pronounce right, but uh, he says this so well. He says this, Every time a bride and a groom stand there and they take their vows, they are reenacting the biblical love story, whether they realize it or not. The Son of God stepping down out of eternity, entering time, taking on flesh, pursuing and winning his bride as his very heart and body with, with his in, inmost sincerest love so that he can fit her to be with him forever above. That dramatic super reality is the breathtaking reason why human marriage exists. It is truly profound. And Christians uh, Christian married couples have the privilege of making the mystery of the gospel visible in the world today by living out the dynamic interplay of an Ephesians 5 quality marriage. We should not think that Christ and the church are the metaphor in this passage, but the reverse. Christ and the church are the reality of realities, and our Christian marriages are the metaphors. See, in verse 32 here, when, when Paul says, uh, of the one flesh union of, of a husband and wife. He says this, the mystery is profound. The, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to, to Christ and the church. See, by, by mystery here, he means that something was hidden that has now been revealed. You see, see, marriage wasn't plan B. I don't know if you realize this. It wasn't plan B. It existed before the fall. Before sin ever entered the world, marriage existed. And yet every marriage since Adam and Eve has still existed to showcase this covenantal love that God has for his church, you know, even before Christ walked on the earth. See, because God's always 
always had this plan. This was the way God was going to do it always. You know, just as in Ephesians 1.4, I doubt you remember it, it was a long time ago, but when we were there, it tells us that God loved us long before our births, long before the earth was ever created, and that we are standing on today. It, it even, you know, it, it tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. And so our marriages are showing forth God's plan in that regard. The, the, the Greek word here, right? When you get into love, you always have to get into the Greek word. The Greek word uh, for love and husbands love your wives is, is agape. This is an unwavering, an unending love. It is emotional for sure, but it is so much deeper than that. Uh, it is this, this permanent love that we can count on. And, and this gives goodness to God's design of headship when we understand it in this context. Christ, as head of the church and as, uh, and, and as a husband, as the head of his, his wife, this is giving goodness to it. Because remember that, that headship is, is more of a responsibility to lead, not a right to rule. And if you mix those up, if you mistake that, you're going to mess the entire system up. It is a responsibility to lead. Because when you understand it this way, you understand that there is no room for pride. For responsibility leads to humility as we acknowledge that there is an authority above us who has assigned this responsibility and that we are accountable to. Husbands, you are absolutely accountable to the Lord for your marriage. And so then, if, if you're a husband, this passage is, is teaching that God intends for your wife to be encouraged and strengthened and radiant because of the love that you have and that you show for her. Uh, a love that is distinct, and this is, this is important because Scripture is full of love them and love your neighbor and love your enemy and love everyone else, but a, a love that is distinct from your love of your other Christian sisters, uh, distinct from the love you might have for your mother, from, from the love that you might have towards every other woman on the planet. There is something unique and distinct here. Um, so let me set the stage for where we're, we're going here. For just an instance, I, I want you to imagine that you have the gifting, the talent to actually be able to paint. Now, if I were to tell you that, I, I want you to paint me a picture like Milo of Milan paints his murals. What would you need to know in order to do that? You'd need to know what do Milo of Milan's murals look like. And I, I set it up this way because I think sometimes we just assume so much that we know about Christ and his love for the church that we don't really pay attention to the details here. And, and we're going to need to know these details if we're going to know what it means to actually love our wives like Christ loves the church. Uh, so it's the same thing here, right? So husbands, single men, if you want to learn uh, how to love your wife or your future wife like Christ loves the church, we're going to have to look at his word here. Um, but even if you're, you're not looking to apply this to marriage, and I, I say this, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't really know that marriage is anywhere near for me, or, you know, I'm, I'm the woman in this relationship, uh, in this marriage. I, I want you to understand that the love of Christ for you can be applied to your confidence in, in, in your faith as you look at just how well your Savior loves you. <clears throat> Our perfect Savior ha has loved us and will continue to love us for all of eternity. All right, so to start with... Uh, I've got to admit, there's a vast difference here, and this is important, there's a vast difference in the way that most men pursue a woman to be their wife and the way that God actually pursues the church to be his, his church. Men tend to begin by uh, being attracted to a woman's beauty, either physical beauty or inner beauty. 
something lovely about this, this woman they want to pursue. I don't know that you, you know, you never hear a man telling his friends, uh, I just met the most nauseating woman, truly, truly repulsive. I think I'm going to ask her out. You just don't see that in the way we do that. However, Christ didn't choose the church that way. You see, if your faith is in Christ, that means you. See, he, he didn't choose the church because she was attractive or intelligent or kind or lovely or faithful or anything uh, of that nature. That's not why he chose the church. He chose the church when, when she still, was, um, still had nothing attractive about her. And Romans 8, you know, 5, 8, rather, speaks of, of God's love for us when we were still filthy sinners. Um, early in Ephesians chapter 2, you know, you can flip back and look if you want. Verses 4 and 5, we learn that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And this is a good reminder to us, to all of us, that while husbands are to love like Christ, like Christ, husbands are not Christ. Only Jesus can wash his bride from sin and, to, and present her to himself, pure and beautiful and alive. That is uniquely the aspect of, of Christ in your life. Uh, just as in verses you know, 26 and 27 in our passage here, uh, you know, Christ gave himself so that he might sanctify her, this is speaking of the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All of us here who, who look to Christ with faith, that's you. Christ has made you beautiful in him and, and for him. Men, only when we fully are resting in, in the love of Christ for us can we rightly reflect the love, that, uh, the love of, uh, to our wives like, like this. You see, if you want to lead well, man, if you want to lead well, you've got to follow the Lord well. And if you want to love well, you, you've got to rest in the Lord well, his love for you. And so the love of Christ is, is sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's inter eternal. It always considers the good of his, his bride, and, and so on and so on. And so now we're going to consider Christ's love as it is modeled uh, in a husband's love for his wife, okay? We're going to still be seeing the love of Christ, but we're going to see how it's modeled in, in a marriage. And, and as we do this, I want you to keep in mind to, um, that to love like Jesus is not something less than romantic. It's, it's not void of emotional love. It's, it's, it's emotional love, but it's also much more than emotional love. So the first thing we, we see here is that a husband is, is to lead actively. Actively lead. And in verse 23 we read, For the husband is, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So men, passivity might be your natural inclination. Your, your wife, wife might be the stronger leader in your relationship, but husband, passivity is, is not an option. You know, as, you, uh, as the head of your family, you absolutely must lead. You can't just sit back and watch. And, and man, you can start this conversation, you know, even later today, if, if you find yourself where that's just not the case, even later today, by asking, you know, are, are, are there ways, uh, are there any ways that I am being passive or that I might lead you or our family better? And you begin leading by asking a question like that. Wives... Um, you know, just like last time, we, we made the point that husbands can't enforce or demand submission. It fails to be submission at that point. We, we need to also see that wives can't 
the man that their husbands lead. You, you just can't do that. I, I've actually listened to a wife before um, in, a, in a counseling session, not here, but a wife who demanded that her husband lead you know, to him and then, and then went off to list off specifically, these are the ways that you have to lead. You, you do see the irony in that, right? Um, and so if your husband isn't leading, you might wonder, well, what, what do we do then? Number one, you can pray for your husband. You, you can pray for him. You can also, in a, a time of peace, share with him that you desire to see him lead you and your family. Uh, let him know that that's something you, you want. Um, you can also encourage whenever you do see him leading well. Uh, it'll go a long way to, to building, building him up in that way, to give confidence towards that. So then the, the second thing we see here is to love like Jesus, we must love sacrificially. Uh, that's how verse 25 ends. You can see it in your, you know, look at your passage in front of your husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As a husband, you, you should long to see your, your wife liberated from everything that spoils her true identity in Christ. You should long to, be, to, to see her flourishing as a disciple of, of the Lord in all of her life. And so while a husband, you, you might make the final decisions. It's, it's not just what you want to do. It's actually hearing your wife, understanding what her desires are, and trying to, to meet those needs. Um, Laura's wanted to redo our, our floor since the day that we moved into our house. It was made in the 1950-something. So they, they've never been redone. They're, they're, they're pretty worn out. And uh, this is four years ago we moved into our house. And, and this week... Uh, Greg, our mailman, who has been telling us for years that our floors look terrible, but he'll come help us out. Um, I know it's a weird relationship to have with your mailman, but this uh, last week he said, you know what, I'm off Thursday, Friday, I can come by and help you do that. And, uh, you, you know, that uh, seemed like a, a thing to do. I, I, I didn't want to do this, though. I wanted no, no part of this. I didn't want our house to be all cattywampus. And I, I knew, you know, at this moment, I thought, this is important to Laura, and I'm studying this, and you know, sure, let's do this. You know, love your wife well. And, and so I make this sacrifice as a, as a husband. I'm really great, right? <laughs> Not really, though. Um, because I, I made this decision with her in mind, and, and a, but I didn't want to really, like, love her with my attitude. Maybe I'm the only husband who does this, does this, but I did that stupid thing husbands do where I was clearly annoyed about everything. <clears throat> Why are we, like, my, the house, I have to step over this. This is so frustrating. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus on the cross telling you, I'm going to die for you, but this is so frustrating. This is not a good week for me to be crucified. This is... <laughs> Not the way I saw this going. Of course you can't imagine that. You, you know, when, when Jesus sacrifices himself for his church, it's a, a selfless love. He, he doesn't like, make the church pay emotionally from that point forward. Um, so we've got to learn to treat our wives as, as more important than ourselves, not just in the actions, but in, in the way we relate in every aspect of this. Uh, our floor did get redone. It looks great. It's a good decision. Um, anyway, husbands, let, let me ask you this. After a hard day at work or wherever you are, do you, do you find yourself coming home and, and thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I've had a hard day. 
I deserve some time off. I need some just to just come in and relax away from kids and children for a while. That's, that's what I deserve. You're, you're probably really frustrated if that's how you come home. Uh, that, that's the kind of thing, though, that this passage calls us to resist. To, you know, maybe make, take some time, take a moment in the car ride to, to, to pray for new energy, to, to love well, that you won't come in, you know, reluctantly, but willingly, willingly to sacrifice a relaxing evening that you might have imagined for the sake of engaging and loving your wife and your family well. Think about that. Uh, Part of sacrificially means physically protecting our wives. Uh, This is a general idea for for men to to protect women. I know that might sound incredibly outdated by our current culture, and yet uh, I find that it is even culturally self-evident that... uh, People generally agree with this. A few years back, there was a, a shooting in a movie theater in uh, Denver. And, and during this event, <clears throat> there were three boyfriends who shielded the, the bodies of their, their girlfriends. All three of the boys died, and all three of the girls survived. And the media universally praised them as, as heroes for protecting these women. Um, six months earlier, in, in Costa Concordia, uh, a similar event occurred. Only in this instance, there were men that were, were actually pushing women and children out of the way, desperate to protect their own lives, and it was universally condemned in our press. <clears throat> There's this general idea of, of protecting. We, we have this even more so in, in marriage. You protect your wife, and, and that means, you know, men, you, you hear a noise in the middle of the night. It's not whose turn is it to go check this out. It's your turn every time you get out of bed and you go check it out. Every, every time. Uh, Husbands, we, we protect in other ways as well. <clears throat> we set standards for your family. You know, what movies and music and websites are going to be off limits, how much screen time is allowed. Uh, how do you permit your children to speak to your wife? What, what's this respectful, uh, engaging you know, conversation with your, your wife look like, their mother? Uh, what are expectations and, and clothing for your children as they become teenagers? And, and I'm saying take the initiative to sit down with your wife and lead a discussion so that she's not left constantly wondering, I don't know what our standards are. I don't know what I'm supposed to be, be doing here. I don't know how to, how to, how to do this. Um, and, and so we're going to do that. Uh, third way of loving like Christ is in provision. Jesus provides, provides all that the church needs. Uh, you, you've got to have a plan for providing food for your family and housing and other necessities for your family. Uh, I, I know I, none of you struggle with that that I'm aware of, and, and, and so, but I'll, I'll say that I see that in the church sometimes men who just refuse to provide for their families. And uh, this doesn't imply that you need to provide luxury, though. That, that's important. Too, too often, luxury is the very excuse that a husband will give for, for why he has basically skirted every other uh, responsibility that he has towards his family. You know, uh, I can't be there, I can't do that because I'm providing for our family. You, you don't need to provide everything your family wants. You need to provide what your family needs, and they certainly need you present. They, they need you present uh, mentally and, and otherwise in their, in their lives. The fourth way of, of loving like Christ we see here in verse 29, husbands are to nourish their wives. Nourish means that to feed, not with, not with food here, but um, to, to feed, to care for her soul. Verse 26 states that he, this is talking about Christ, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, uh, God's word should be ever present in, in, in your home. 
that you would ensure that, that there is a, a constant diet of, of the word in, in your wife and your, your family's life? That, have you made it a, a priority for your, your church to be, or your, fam- your family to be at church and worshiping the Lord each Sunday? Even on vacation, if at all possible, do you, do you find a place that you can go and worship the Lord? Husbands, do you, do you ask about your wife's personal devotions? Do you, do you even know what it looks like? Um, uh, John Piper broadens this idea further. I'm just going to read his because it's better than anything I would have come up with. He says this, uh, Husbands need to establish a healthy family pattern of, of, of life. Prayer patterns, Bible reading patterns, church attendance patterns, patterns of moral guidance for the children, patterns of pace and schedule, patterns of your, how you handle iPhones, patterns of financial responsibility and living with, uh, within the budget, and, and on and on. The, the husband as head should not leave a, a wife in a position where she feels like these things are being neglected or that she has to push him in order to initiate the necessary conversations. Again, uh, husbands lead, not as a decree from above, not as that, but, but, but lead, you know, not saying here's what we're doing, we're doing this and, and you follow, but initiate with sentences that begin with the word let's. Let's, let's talk about how we want to handle phones or, or sleepovers. Let's, let's talk about what our, our giving to church or, or charities looks like. Let's, let's talk about how, how our family views the Sabbath, how we want to want to practice a day of, of rest. Let's talk about spiritual nourishment in our life, things like that. Fifth, Husbands, you love like Christ by being one flesh union for the good of you both. Uh, you got it open in front of you. Look down, verse 28, 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Don't, don't misunderstand this, though. He's, he's not saying, men, you are so incredibly selfish. Uh, so maybe harness this as a means to apply the, the same application to the way that you love yourself so much, love your wife a little bit like that. Uh, that's not what he's saying. If, if that's the idea, then uh, really treating your wife as an indentured servant would, would fill his needs just, just well, right? Uh, this is bigger, though. This is a profound mystery. It's about the union of a, a husband and a wife, and, and you can think about that. You go out of here, and you think about the union of a husband and a wife, and, and your mind is just going to just go and go and go. It is a very difficult concept, but this is what God has given us, you know. Um, and, and as a husband and a wife are united together, they're one, one. Um, and, and so just as, as your head on your body is, is distinct from your body, and yet, because they are united, we make up one, one body. Uh, also, a husband and a wife are distinct from each other, individual persons, and yet uh, in marriage are united to one to, to make up one body. See, when, you're, when your head makes wise decisions for your body, uh, proper sleep, drinking enough water, uh, regular exercise, then, then both the body and the head benefit from that. And, and the reason is that they're absolutely in, inseparable. You, you can't really do something good for your body that doesn't have effects to your head as well. Uh, which means then that if, if, if you neglect your wife, to neglect your wife is to neglect your own health as, as well as to, to, to harm your wife is, is a form of, of self-harm. The, the opposite is true as well. When, when your wife is flourishing, you're flourishing. Um, the next thing we see here is this, this holding fast it's a way, uh, 
holding fast to the way to love your wife. You see it in verse 31. Uh, it reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, to hold fast to something is to, to grasp it in such a way that, that you, have, you, you will not let go of it. That, that desperation. Uh, and it's a word that we see all throughout the scripture. In Deuteronomy, we are told to, to hold fast to God. Uh, Job, Job was encouraged to hold fast to his integrity. Uh, God calls Hosea to hold fast to, to love and justice. And in, in Romans, we're urged to hold fast to what is good. In 1 Corinthians, we are, uh, we are to hold fast to the word of the gospel. In Hebrews, we are to hold fast our confidence in Christ. And, and husbands, you are told to hold fast to your wives like that. that that's the kind of union, the, the desperate connection we're talking about. And, and holding fast means a husband must give precedent to his wife over all other relationships. Yes, including his, his mother. Um, a wife's concern must be more important than that. That's part of that leaving and cleaving that is so difficult for new marriages. Uh, as we look to Christ as the example, we see that we're to, to love our wives with this, this permanent faithfulness. Permanent faithfulness. Husbands, your wives need to feel secure in the relationship. I, we might take it for granted, but we are, we're never sit there and you wonder, you know, is, is Jesus just going to be done with me one day? Um, we're not. He's not. Uh, we can absolutely trust him, and your, and your wife needs to, be able to feel that security, you know, especially in a world where half of marriages end, end in divorce. You see, a, a hovering a severing of the, of the head from the body. That's what we're talking about there in divorce. And, and unfortunately, those, those numbers, you know, that half of marriages are ending in divorce, they aren't much different um, statistically when people profess faith in Christ. But, but they ought to be when, when your profession is more than a mere profession. You know, may our, our marriages model what 1 Corinthians 1.9 says quite simply, God is faithful. Faithful and, and permanence, you know. You're, you're committed for life, not just while it's easy, not just while it's convenient. Our, our marriages are a form of an apologetic. Um, that means, that is uh, to say, that, you know, the way that you love your wife speaks to the way we as Christians are, are loved by Christ. It, it ought to be that, that people look to Christian marriages, your marriages, and, and, and what they see is, is this. They say, you know what, she respects him, and he so truly loves her. You know, our, our reputation should be that, that Christians don't divorce like others do. That's the kind of marriages we, we should be having as Christians. You know, the, the way we relate to each other in marriage should make people wonder. I don't, I, they're doing something different. I don't know what it is, but, but I want to know. I want that kind of love in my marriage. Um, and so through our, our marriages, you know, through our marriages, we can, we can show a watching world both how Jesus loves his church and, and how a, wife, a husband is to love his wife. May, may she never fear that you or, or your love will leave. Uh, let, me, let me also add this, that, that faithfulness and, and singularity, you know, uh, emotionally faithful, don't develop intimate friendships with, with other women. Sexually faithful. Um, this, you know, remember that as, you, as you're battling that temptation towards lust, that your faithfulness to, to your, your wife in this regard. 
the last area I want to mention today is, is seen in verse 29. Cherish. Now we are to cherish, you are to cherish your wife just as Christ cherishes the church. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Our, our first year of <clears throat> marriage, on special occasions, I would take Laura uh, to Olive Garden. You know, birthdays, rough days, whatever we're celebrating. I'd, I'd take her to Olive Garden. And, and I'd take her to Olive Garden because that was her favorite restaurant. And, and then on one occasion, I was, we were on our way there, and I referred to it as her favorite restaurant. And she was quick to say it was, in fact, not her favorite restaurant. <laughs> Uh, in fact, she didn't even like Olive Garden. Um, in fact, she thought it was my favorite restaurant, and that's why I took her there on all these special occasions. Uh, I don't even like Olive Garden. See, I had assumed that this was her favorite place because her mom always took her to Olive Garden on special occasions in college. I never asked her her favorite restaurant. I just assumed that's where your mom takes you. It must be your favorite place. Uh, and since she kept getting taken to Olive Garden by me, I, early on in our marriage, she wasn't feeling very loved at all when I would do this. You see, at the most basic level, if your wife is to feel cherished, then she must be known, and she must feel known by you. See, what, what makes your wife feel sh- cherished and cared for? Do you, do you know that? Can you answer that? I say that because, man, we are so dense sometimes. We're just oblivious to these things sometimes. You know, does, does your wife need more undivided conversation? Does she need your time? Do you, do you know what fills her up in life? Do you, do, you, do you know how to provide the refreshment that she needs in life? You know? Do you, do you know her favorite restaurant? Do you really know what it is? Um, do you know what her favorite book is? Or what does she like to do together as a couple? Do you, do you still ask questions about her? Or do you just assume you know everything at this point? And I say that, you know, continue to ask questions. Continue to, to learn more about your wife because she is changing as she matures, as circumstances in life change, as she grows in her, her walk with the Lord. Get to know her. Uh, similar to the word cherish is the word splendor. It's right there in verse 27. It, it means... To, um, glorious or honor. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of dishonor. Uh, do, do you honor her ideas, her intelligence, her worth ethic? Um, another thing, uh, you know, in, in regards to cherishing your wife, do, does your wife know how beautiful she is to you? Does, does she know that? You know, physical beauty as well as, as inner beauty and I know this is touching on a cliche thing that we kind of hate to hear sometimes, but, uh, you know, do, do you tell her things like, like you read in Song of Solomon? You know, uh, Song of Solomon 115. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are as doves. When's the last time you, you complimented your wife with something like that? Uh, or Solomon 4.1, you know, Song of Solomon 4.1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Tell me you've never, ever used that line. <laughs> See, don't do it exactly like Song of Song. <laughs> but but the, the idea there, your, your, your wife ought never to question whether she is beautiful in your eyes, and the reason is because of how plentiful your words of admiration to her are. Uh, and so then, 
Husbands, your, your job description, your, your main focus here as a husband is to daily measure the love that you have for your wife to the love that Christ has for his church. And, and then to love her more like that. To, to seek her good, to, to honor her, to, to know her well, to delight in her, to pray for her, to, to lead her well, and, and to see your, your wife flourish. And, and may the Lord be glorified in our marriages. And if you're a single person working, listening to this today, wives, marry a man who's going to lead you like that, care for you like that. Uh, uh, our men, that's, that's the kind of way, when you, when you commit to marry a woman, before you get down on one knee and you propose with a ring, know that this is what you're being called to, a love like this. Uh, let's, let's close in prayer. Let's pray.